Taking our Bibles, we're going to Psalm 103. While you're headed that way, let me ask you a question. Am I the only one that feels like it's burning up in this room? Is it really warm in here? Okay, because I'm fearful that I'm getting what my wife has. She's got the crud and homesick, and I think you don't want to talk to me afterwards. I think I'm getting it as well. So if I, if I duck out in the middle of the message, you'll understand why. Okay, we're in Psalm 103. Well, Psalm 103, here's what's happening. Um, fellows, you got sermon notes? Let's get those out to you, just in case anybody didn't get them. What we're dealing with is we're talking about what we're going to see in heaven, what's going to be experienced in heaven. We've been doing this series for the last few weeks. It was supposed to be just an introductory one or two messages on heaven, so we'll get into the topic of what about preparing for that? What about preparing for death and dying? And we're going to talk about getting the wills. Uh-oh, What happened? It turned on? It, was it me? It was you. Could anybody hear me throughout the other room? Okay. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Now that, now that we've got power, okay, and we're preaching with power now. Okay. Um, with this series, we'll start with the idea of let's just study, and I wanted to do some training and spend a few messages just talking about what do we do to prepare and talk about the wills, the preparing for funerals, those types of... Um, mournful, discouraging topics that we want to stay away from but we need to deal with. How to conduct a service and give you some pointers and help. But then in just studying this idea of heaven, it just kind of exploded and expanded. And for me, it's been just a very, very, very encouraging time studying the Word of God and just talking about the doctrine of heaven and learning some things that I hadn't known. And it's like one of those topics, every time you study, you learn some more things. Well, one of the questions that people have asked in the last few weeks and they've asked frequently over the years is they ask the question, do I believe that in in heaven, there's going to be alien life forms. Okay, what about you know? And part of the reason somebody might ask me, because some of you know that most of you know by what I say how frequently I'm a historical buff. I love biographies. I like reading mysteries, and I like watching sci-fi films. I know, I know, some may think it's evil and horrible, but I enjoy Star Trek. Okay, and I like Voyager. And I like those different programs. In fact, I could even say this thing to you because I've learned it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship. Oh, see, I'm not the only one. Okay. So we, we get into these films and these things and we talk about you know, alien life forms. Do I believe there's such things? Is there life outside of what we know as here on planet Earth? I'm going to give you a resounding answer. I believe absolutely yes, there's alien life form from what we're used to. Alien in the form of what the things we talked about in Ezekiel 1 and Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 1 as well. Where you see these living creatures, you see these beings, these spiritual beings that, that are just phenomenal outside of our realm, not human like us. But are we going to see aliens in heaven? I think the aliens that we see are going to be some of these, these spiritual beings that are part of God's creation, that are described in Scripture. You can call some of them angelic. You can call them the living beast. I think that sometimes even these UFOs are in this from the spiritual realm, even demonic activity to confuse. And so I have no problem with thinking that there are opportunities where God or, or even the, the evil realms opens up and they make themselves visible in appearance and they are unearthly, if you would. And so when we discuss this form, I want to talk tonight just about one character, one, one semblance of characters we're going to meet in heaven, and that's the, the angels. 
They make up a tremendous amount of the population of heaven. What is that like? What do we know about the angels from Scripture? There is so much there, but we're going to just do it in a brief message. In Psalm 103, we have a passage that he is talking about, and he's indicating some things about angels. Now, we'll make these comments, okay? The Bible indicates heaven's filled with angels. There's some 273 references to, to angels in, uh, in the Scriptures. So there's a lot of detail, but here's one passage, and Psalm 103 is a phenomenal passage, but we're jumping to the very end. He says in verse 19, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord. What's he talking, who's he talking to? You, his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all you, his host, you ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. And then he concludes, he says, oh, and as well, bless the Lord, O my soul. What do I learn about angels from this text? I learned they're real. I learned they're real. Even though we, we don't see them, they're invisible, they are real. They're real enough that God talks about them as angels. He talks about them as a host. He talks about them as ministers. He talks about it as part of his works. They're real enough that, well, think with me for a moment. Let's just, let's just banter for a second. Where, where do we have appearances of, of angels in Scripture? Do you remember any occasions? Okay, to the shepherds, there's angels. In the garden, there's angels. To the ladies at the tomb. Okay, Joshua has the angel of the Lord that meets him at that time. Where else? Daniel has a couple different occasions. Oh, in Daniel's, in Daniel's case, uh, the angels on a couple occasions, they explain the scriptures to him. They talk about the angels of the different realms in Daniel 10. In Daniel 6, the angel comes and shuts the... Mouth of the lion. Somebody said over at um, Balaam's donkey, then the angel is there in the appearance. Okay, at the birth of Christ, at the resurrection of Christ, in the ministry of Christ, angels come and minister to him on a couple occasions, one after the temptation. We know that the angels come to Abraham. Does he sit and talk with the angels for a while? Yeah, he has them for supper um, as guests. He has the angels there as guests. <laughs> okay. um, and then those angels go and who do they run into? Who do they go and meet? Lot and his family. So we, we just know there's abundance of these angels. And uh, we know that Hebrews says that sometimes we have to be careful about hospitality because there may be opportunity that we do what? We entertain angels. Oh, yeah, do they show up sometimes? Here's some, op uh, some occasions that some say maybe these are angels. A celebrated Philadelphia neurologist had gone to bed after an exceptionally tiring day. Suddenly he was awakened by somebody knocking on his door. Opening it, he found a little girl poorly dressed and deeply upset. She told him that somebody she loved dearly is very, very sick, and he must come with her. She begged, she pleaded, and it was bitterly cold, snowy night. But though he is bone-tired, the doctor dressed and followed the little girl. As the story went on, he found the mother desperately ill with pneumonia, this lady, this woman who was a mother, desperately ill with pneumonia. After arranging for medical care, he complimented the sick woman on the intelligence and persistence of her little, little daughter. The woman looked at him strangely and said, I don't have a little daughter. I had a child years ago who passed away, and he, she added, she says, and that when I buried the little child, and she described somebody who had the same type of clothing on that this doctor he talked to. Amazed and perplexed, the doctor went to the closet, opened the door, and there hung the very clothes that this woman had talked about that she, her little girl used to wear, and then she had another pair like it to, who was, that she was buried. Could the doctor have been called upon in this hour of need by an angel who appeared to him? 
John G. Patton, pioneer missionary in New Hebrides, several of you have heard this, uh, told a thrilling story involving the protective care of angels. Hostile natives surrounded his mission headquarters one night, intent on burning the Pattons out, killing them. John Patton and his wife prayed all during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see unaccountably the attackers had left. They thanked the Lord for delivering them, but a year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Jesus Christ. And Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief who had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them that night a year before. The chief replied in surprise, well, who were all those men you had with you there? The missionary said, there were no men there. It was just my wife and myself. And the chief said, no, no, no. We had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments with swords drawn. They seemed to circle the mission statement so, station so that the natives were afraid to attack. Only dead did Patton realize that God must have sent his angels to protect him. The chief agreed. There was no other explanation. Could it be that God had sent the legion of angels to protect his servants? whose lives were endangered. Here's a story that comes out of France, and it's a story from back in the 1918s. And it's in a book that's called The Wonder of the Word by, it's in document in many places, but this is where I got it, The Wonder of the Word, uh, published in 57. It says this, the story of the White Calvary of Bethune is attested by thousands of Germans and related in the words of a Prussian officer, and it goes like this. We were advancing at the head of our troops, all of whom were in excellent spirits, singing as they swung along, thinking that the British were now defeated and all that remained was to go forward without opposition and capture Paris. By my side was Lieutenant Fritz, and he suddenly seized hold of my arm, saying, Look, Herr Captain, there is a large body of mounted men approaching Bethune from the other side. They're clad in white. They're mounted on white horses. Who can they be? I don't know, I replied. They may be a British colonial mounted troop. We halted instinctively and stood watching those white uniform-clad cavalry advancing quietly through the smoke, their figures clearly outlined in the shining sun. We saw the shells breaking into death-dealing fragments and bursting amidst their ranks with shattering crashes which shook the ground. And this was soon followed by intensive machine gun fire which raked them to and fro until it would seem impossible for any of them to survive. But the white cavalry came quietly forward at a slow trot. Not a man nor horse fell. Resistless as the incoming tide, they advanced, and in front of them rode their leader, a fine figure of a man. By his side was a great sword, not a cavalry sword, but similar to what was used by the crusaders. And his hand lay quietly holding the reins of his great white charger as it bore proudly forward. Then a terror seized me, and I found myself, along with all my men, fleeing that awe-inspiring body of white cavalry, frightened and terrified. All around me were masses of men, formerly an army, now a rabble, broken and afraid, all fleeing from them, but more especially from that wonderful leader on his great white charger. The Orman army was defeated. We, we have lost the battle, and we believed it was due to the white cavalry. Some of you might say, well, well, that's impossible. Psalm 34 says this, the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivers them. You know what some people believed when they got this account back in the 1918s, in that period of time? They believed that God had answered the prayers of the British people and delivered England. Had he really answered prayer by sending his own invisible army, made them visible, and given these people at least a glimpse of his host? It's possible. It's possible that God could do that. I could read you other stories, but for sake of time, let me put that aside and let's talk a little bit more about the angels from Scripture. We know that they're real. I look at this passage and it gives me some other indication about these angels. It tells me that these angels, they are many. They are many in number. He calls them in this text, in the plural sense, angels, a host. The idea is that there's a great, great number. Now, I understand this. 
I understand that when we study angels, we could jump to passages like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, that says that they are a heavenly, that you come to Jer heavenly Jerusalem's innumerable company of angels. He gives that idea that they're an innumerable company of angels. We read in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, that the shepherds, all of a sudden after they hear the one, it says, and a multitude of angels were suddenly calling out and praising God. We read in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, these words, many angels, he talks about that he sees in heaven, the number being 10,000 times 10,000 plus thousands of thousands. Let me give you a thought to chew on. Matthew chapter 18 talks about verse 10 about being careful what we do to the least of these people because their angels do always behold the face of God. And we get from that idea that there's the possibility, the probability that each one of us has a guardian angel assigned to us. If that's the case, then how many angels must there be right now? There's got to be at least six billion plus. So heaven is filled with an amazing number of angelic beings. Now we're talking good angels. On top of that, you also have the, the evil angels, the demons, the fallen angels. So we know this. We know that they're real. We know that they're many in number, which gives me the indication that when we get to heaven, a lot of heaven's going to be populated with angels. We're going to run into them a lot, which gives me another indication they are created beings. Just let's make this clear. They're created beings. He talks about, bless the Lord, all you his works in all the places of dominions. They are a work of God. They were created. They are not creatures that, um, that came of themselves. In fact, if you turn over just a few pages, Psalm 148 makes it very clear about their creation. Psalm 148, we jump down in the text, and in Psalm 148, look down, and in verse 5, it makes it very, very clear what happened. Let them praise, 148 verse 5, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he blank, and they were created. What's the word? He commanded. The word is he spoke, let it be, and it was so. It happened. God created these angels. Now, the big question that some of us are going to have then, when were they created? Okay, well, it seems to me that we don't, we don't have any specific indication that they were created at 6 a.m. on the fourth day of creation. We don't have that kind of timetable. But we do have this indication, I think, from Scripture. They had to be created during creation week or some, somewhere in that realm. And by the end of creation week, what does God say about all creation? It is good. And then the next passage we have is talking about what happens at the Garden of Eden, that there, sometime after the creation, then the angel, uh, the best of angels, that is Satan, has already fallen. So when were they created? Probably during creation week. And when did they fall? Somewhere between chapters 2 and 3. Beyond that, I don't have a clue. The Scriptures doesn't tell us anything. So we know that they're real. We know that they're created. We know that they are many in number. Let's, uh, let's give another idea about them. We know that they are, let's call them sentient beings. Sentient beings. That is, they are beings that have intellect, emotion, and will. How do I know that? Looking at that Psalm 103 passage, <clears throat> he makes this comment. He's saying, bless the Lord, that is, praise the Lord. Get involved with rejoicing and, and, and praising Him, which has emotion which calls for an action that's called, that's emotion of awe and gratitude. So we have emotion seen. We also have the idea here of understanding, of ability to think. How do we know that? They do his commandments. 
they hearken unto the voice of, the, of his word. That is, they are able to think through what he is saying. They are able to process that. They are able to minister unto him, and they do his good pleasure. So here they are. They are thinking beings. They are beings that have emotion. They are beings as well as we already said they have a will. They are submissive to him. They seek to do his pleasure. So we have these indications that these people are, these beings, I should say, that they are sentient beings. They understand God's orders. They understand they can communicate. In fact, their intelligence is enough that they can explain some of the word of God to Daniel. We know that they communicate. They tell us some of the, in times when they revealed things, they revealed things that people were a little bit struggling with. And they revealed the will, the nature, the plans of God. They are able to do a variety of these thought processes. So we know that that they're real, they're created, they're many, they're sentient beings. Oh, by the way, let me throw this out. They're individual beings. They aren't what we would say, uh, you know, cookie cutter type things that they're all the automatons. They're individuals. He talks in this passage when he's talking to them, bless you, each and every one of you, the Lord. And where he talks about you, his angels, each one of you. So he gives the idea that these angels have individuality. They're not just part of this. They are part of a mass, but at the same time, they have their own thought processes. We know that as well, that some of them, in the very beginning, they could choose whether they would follow the Lord or they would follow after Satan. Let me give you another description that strikes me. They interact with creation. They interact with God's creation. He's talking about them in verse 22 as part of the works of creation who are located or interacting in all places of his dominion. The idea is that they are talking, they are working, they are assigned, we know from other scriptures, various tasks. Some are assigned, according to Daniel chapter 10, different capitals, different nations. And so in their hierarchy of what's happening, we understand that angels have a wide variety of responsibilities. They have these actions, they do interaction. They communicate. They also interact not only with people, but they interact obviously with animals. They interact obviously in the sense of nature, because in the book of Revelation, aren't the angels doing some of the manipulating of some of the seals, the trumpets, the vile judgments that involve impacting nature? And so there are these beings, but the one thing that stands out of this text that he wants us to understand, that they are superior to us. These angels are superior to us. He describes that in several ways. He says in verse 20, Bless the Lord, you his angels, that what? That excel in strength. But if it's a comparative word, they don't excel above and beyond God, but obviously they excel above some other parts of creation. In particular, who do you think that is? Yeah, do you remember what he says in Psalm 8? That man was made a little lower than the angels. What's he mean by that? They are superior to us. Superior in what ways? Obviously in strength. Okay, they excel beyond in strength. They are powerful beings that have great, great physical ability and agility. They could do things that you and I could only think about or imagine or Hollywood could make believe that some superhero could do. These angels have that ability. These angels have the ability when we think about their strength where in 2 Thessalonians verse 1 it says that the, Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. We read in 2 Peter chapter 2 that the angels in verse 4 they are greater, and in parentheses I put greater than man, greater in power and in might. When we start thinking about what they do, they are so powerful, they can take raging, roaring lions and close their mouths. Even the, even the people, I forget the names all of a sudden, of the two lion, the lion um, masters there in, in Vegas, and the one got attacked by his animal. Okay, you got it. Okay. Um, they, yeah, the... 
I always think Sigmund and Freud, and I know that's not right, <laughs> but Siegfried and his partner. Even with all their ability and all their, their skill, they couldn't control those lions, okay? These angels can. They could take these ravenous beasts and they could control them. They could uh, destroy a city of Sodom and Gomorrah. <coughs> Tremendous. Without the atom bomb, they could do this. They had the abilities that we read in 2 Kings 19 that one of the angels coming to protect Jerusalem came and one angel alone slew 185,000 men. Those are pretty, pretty severe odds. One against 185,000, and he won. You have the same thing happening in Chronicles, where you read in 1 Chronicles 21, David has committed the sin of numbering the people because of his pride. <coughs> he was, <coughs> excuse me, he was warned not to do this. He was warned to, to, to be careful, but he went ahead with his pride. Part of the punishment is there's an angel that comes, and because of the inflicted punishment, that one angel takes out 70,000 people. I would like to have them on my side if I were in a fight. Okay, these are some powerful, powerful beings that they have the abilities to make themselves visible or invisible. We understand that. We've seen that in Scripture. We understand that some of them have the ability to fly. I don't know if they all do, but we know in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, it says the angel flew and moved around. We read in Isaiah 6 that the angel who was at the altar flew to Isaiah and then ministered to Isaiah when he was falling down before the Lord. We know that Jesus Christ, like, the, like man, becoming like man, he made himself, according to Hebrews 2, a little lower than the angels in his abilities as a human being. So we know that they're bigger and they're tougher. They're mightier than you and me. They have some great, great abilities. In fact, when people saw them, they were some awesome creatures that they saw. You know, when Daniel sees them, Daniel in chapter 8, he sees an angel and it says, and I fell down. I'll quote, I'll quote what he says. I was afraid and I fell and hid my face. We read in, in Mark chapter 16. When they are at the tomb, the, the soldiers that saw this angel, they were, and it says in an old King English, they were affrighted. It sounds like my grandkids talking. Okay, that they were affrighted. Okay? They were afraided is the way that the kids would say it. These, these soldiers were absolutely dumbfounded by the angels. In the Matthew 28, in, when it describes that event, it says, the angel who came to the tomb, his countenance was like lightning. Well, that would, that would I, I didn't mean to put on words, that would shock us to see somebody who was like lightning. Isn't that amazing? Look at, look at just a couple passages in the book of Revelation that give a description. Go to Revelation chapter 18. Holding your finger here, we're going to come back in a second. But Revelation 18 gives us a little bit of a description of, of this one of the angels he's dealing with. And just get a sense of what John is thinking when he sees the angel. Um, we're going to talk about Revelation 18 verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven. And he describes in Revelation 18 verse 1, having what? He's having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of the devils. Go back a little bit. Give you another picture of an angel in chapter 10. In chapter 10, he gives us a, a greater description, a lengthier description. He says in chapter 10, verse 1, now this one, this one is absolutely amazing. Now, by the way, I'll throw this out. The description of angels varies from different passage, which means that there's a variety in angels' appearances, which shouldn't shock us, because is there a variety in our appearances? Yes. Size, height, weight, um, you know, skin tone, skin color, hair, no hair, 
Okay, all those different things, the colors. Here he's talking about an angel in chapter 10, verse 1. I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. A rainbow was upon his head. His face was like the sun. His feet were as pillars of fire. He had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and he set his left foot where? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is, a, this is an awesome dude. And he cried with a loud voice as when what? A lion roars, and when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. <laughs> and when the seven thudders, uh, thudders, <laughs> uh, thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up, okay? And the angel which I saw in verse 5, stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and he swears by the living one. So here you've got some appearances of these angels that are very, very moving. Chapter 22 gives a, a conclusion as he's writing down, winding down the book, and an angel has been giving him the tour, and this tour guide, he's going to respond to him in chapter 22. Look what John does in chapter 22, verse 8. I, John, saw all these things, and I heard them. And he says, and when I had heard and seen, chapter 22, verse 8, I fell down to worship before the feet of who? An angel, which showed me these things. Now, now, put yourself in John's spot. Does John know, has he seen Jesus Christ? Has he seen the resurrected Christ? Yeah, he did on several occasions. And so he's seen glory. Chapter 1, he's seen Jesus. Why is he bowing down before this angel? Because everything is just absolutely so moving. And even this angelic being is moving to him. It is obvious, I am small, he is big. He is something amazing. Now, the angel responds and, re and rebukes him kindly and just says to him, verse 9, See thou do it not, I am your fellow servant, I am your brethren, the prophets, and of them that keep worship who? Worship God. The angel is very clear that you don't worship me as though I am absolutely awesome. I am not as awesome as God. And so the angel stops him from doing it. But what we've got, putting all this together, we've got some amazing creatures that we're going to be in heaven and we're going to walk, you know, shoulder, I shouldn't say shoulder, we're going to walk side by side next to some of these amazing beings. They're not as amazing as God. God is so amazing. We talked about this morning. But wow, the company we're going to keep. It's just, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Let me give you one other descriptive word that I can say about them and that is they serve they serve. Their whole being, their whole existence is all about serving. We read about that in Psalm 103 where it talks about though they excel in strength, they do his commandments. They hearken to the voice of his word. All you his host, you ministers of him, of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all his works in all the places. Why? What is their goal? These big guys, these big creatures except for Satan and his horde, these, these good angels, what do they do? Their whole existence is about serving God. Their whole existence is to submit to the word of God, the will of God, to do his being, his, his, his will, to do his bidding. They serve him in a capacity, according to Hebrews chapter 1, they serve God by helping us. They are ministering spirits to us. They, if God's concerned for us, they're concerned for us.
They do his will by giving out some of the information to at different times. They revealed some of the things that Moses had, was able to write down. They gave messages to Mary and Joseph. They gave messages to the shepherds, to Zacharias. They told and ministered to, to Paul when he was absolutely discouraged in Acts 18. An angel appears to him and says, do not be discouraged, continue in your ministry. When he was shipwrecked, or about to be shipwrecked, an angel said, your lives are going to be spared. They come and they minister to a Peter and they open up a jail door for him. A jail door that nobody else could pick the lock. The angel just opens it. These powerful, mighty creatures, they're all about serving. There's all, that's their goal. That's their desire. That's their, their whole purpose and their whole plan is that's what they do. Now, I take that and I bring this to a conclusion in my mind. If these creatures, which are so amazing, so mighty, and they are yet so humble. Now we know the mighty, the great ones that lost their humility, they followed Satan because instead of serving God, they wanted to be served. Instead of serving the will of the Lord, they wanted their own will. So we know that at one time in their choice, they made a choice, some to, to do their own thing, some to do God's thing. I look and I say, those angels who watch us, who marvel at the grace that is bestowed to us, we can turn around, look at them, and we can learn some lessons. Some lessons that God has put into his creation for us to learn a little bit about God and a little about, a bit about these creatures and how we should respond. One thing that stands out to me is this. When we look at these angels, these angels definitely teach me this, that they teach me about the greatness of God. They teach me about the greatness of God. S to make something like this, you have to be greater than what you're creating. You have to be phenomenal and to make some creatures that are phenomenal. And here they are, God creates them. The, to think, to think and to put this all together, to think of the variety that he does, to think of the majesty that he's surrounding himself with. This is, again, you know how creation shows us the glory of God? And we see it in the sunset, we see it in the stars, we see it at night, we see it in good weather. Okay, we say this is just, you see it, now, I don't mean to be silly, but isn't this true, several of you who hunt, you make this comment that there's something about walking in the woods that just kind of, it helps me, and I feel a little bit in tune when I'm in the woods and appreciate the surroundings. You're not pantheistic, but you're appreciating creation because it helps you to marvel about how great your God is. Some of you, you do that with your flower gardens. I don't because I kill them all. But you have beautiful flower gardens. And you are just amazed by the glory and the goodness of God. Look at angels. They are beyond description, don't they, too? Just give us an exclamation point, the greatness of God. You know what they teach me about? They teach me, secondly, about the compassion of God. They are an illustration, once again, of the care, the compassion of God, that God cares so much that he has created beings and assigned them to us. Hey, I got to tell you the truth. Babysitting some of us would not be my ideal job. Would it be yours? I mean, you babysit somebody, you babysit, okay, those of us in the grandparent time, what is the beauty of having grandchildren? You can play with them, you can spoil them, you send them home. Okay, you give them back. Okay, we joked about, I used to think, oh, that's silly, that's not true. Now I know, amen, amen, amen. Okay. And I love them, and I want to spend time with them, but I can send them home. Okay. I wonder if those angels ever get tired of us and say, God, can't we send them back? <laughs> God's care for you and me, think about it. He cares that he assigns them for our protection, our benefit. 
Our care that God says, okay, I'm, I'm concerned about you so much that even though I can do it myself, I'm engaging other beings, powerful beings, to assist. That God would, here's, here's some, again, we go back to some of these stories about how these angels protect and how they, here's one that's kind of an odd story. The British ex, tra, express train raced through the night. Its powerful headlight piercing the darkness, Queen Victoria was the passenger on the train. Suddenly, the engineer saw a startling sight. Revealed in the beam of the engine's light was a strange figure, a black cloak, standing in the middle of the tracks, waving its arms. The engineer grabbed for the brake, brought the train to a grinding halt. He and his fellow trainmen clambered down to see what had stopped them, but they could find no trace of the strange figure. On a hunch, the engineer walked a few yards further up the tracks. Suddenly, he stopped and stared into the fog in horror. The bridge had been completely washed out in the middle, and ahead of them it had toppled into the swollen stream. If the engineer had not heeded this ghostly figure, his train would have plummeted down this, into the stream with the queen. While the bridge and the tracks were being repaired, the crew had a more intensive search for the strange flagman. But not until they got to London did they solve the mystery. At the base of the engine's headlamp, the engineer discovered a huge dead moth. He looked at it at a moment and then on an impulse wet its wings and pasted it to the glass of the lamp. Climbing back into his cab, he switched on the light and saw the flagman of flapping there. He knew the answer now. The moth had flown into the beam seconds before the train was due to reach the washed out bridge. In the fog, it appeared to be a phantom figure waving its arms. When Queen Victoria was told of the strange happening, she said, I'm sure that was no accident that that moth came there. I think it's God's way of protecting us. No, the figure the engineer saw in the headlights beam was not an angel, and yet God, quite possibly through the ministry of an unseen angel, may have placed that moth at the exact spot at the exact time. Is that a possibility for our God to do that? Sure, sure. Our God is just so compassionate, so caring, so involved in history, so involved in our lives that he can create those things. You know what it teaches me? Not only about the greatness of God, which, by the way, if the angels are magnifying the greatness of God, what does that say to you and me? We should do the same thing. If the angels are showing the compassion of God, what does that say to you and me? We should too. Which brings me to the third idea. The lesson that I pull out of this is this idea that there is a, we should have a commitment to the Lord. Now, my numbers may be a little bit different than yours, but bear with me. That there should be a commitment to the Lord. These angelic beings, I'm going to take you back to this thought, big, huge, better, bigger, smarter, faster, more aware and in tune of what's in the spirit realm than you and me, if they have surrendered their will to God Almighty to do His works, to do His bidding, then you and I, puny you and me, then who are we not to do likewise? Who are we not to say, he who is almighty, he who is perfect, who are we to say we aren't going to be caring to do his, his hearkening? We don't need to do his pleasure. We don't need to do his commandments. No, puny you and I need to do his commands if these great creatures can. In fact, let me take that a step further. Not only are they committed to doing whatever he says, which is an example to us, they're committed in the spread of the word of God. 
Their commitment in sharing the word of God is amazing. They bring the word of God to an Abraham. They bring the word of warning to a Job. They bring the word of God to the shepherds. They bring the word of God to Daniel. They bring the word of God to others through the word. They, they encourage Paul, keep on giving out the word. They release Peter so the word can continue. In the book of Revelation, there's an angel flying who is shouting out the gospel. They are giving it out. They are concerned about the souls of people here on this earth in the sense that they were part of their ministry was communicating the word. If those great creatures were so concerned, then you and I should be as concerned about getting the gospel out. We should be like a John Harper. You remember hearing about John Harper? John Harper is an individual who was headed from Britain to Chicago. He was supposed to speak at Moody Tabernacle there in Chicago. And he was riding on a ship that sailed across, headed towards America, across the North Sea. A famous ship, infamous ship in the early 1900s the Titanic. And as he was going along, he was one of those who waited on the ship. He didn't get on the boats, obviously. And so when he's bobbing in the water with his life jacket, he is going around talking to the different individuals there in the icy waters about their eternal destiny because it's imminent they're going to die. And one young man said, he came close and he's yelling at me, are you saved, young man? Do you know the Lord? And all of a sudden a wave came, the young man said, and separated us. He paddled back towards him, John Harper did, and he came closer to the point that they could see each other face to face. They grabbed hands and he said, young man, have you accepted Christ? If you didn't do that, you need to accept Christ now. We're going to meet our maker. You need to be born again. A wave came and washed John Harper away and nobody else ever heard of him again. The young man was haunted, in a good sense, by those words. He prayed and got saved. He was rescued. And three weeks later, he was the one speaking and sharing the testimony at the Moody Church, standing up and saying, I am the last convert of John Harper. Listen, you and I should be as zealous about getting out the word of God. We should have that commitment. Can I add another commitment here? The angels are committed, not only doing God's will and getting the word out, they are committed to serving other believers, fellow servants of God Almighty. What about you and me? What about serving one another? What about helping one another? What about encouraging one another and doing? Now, we don't have the great ability of the angels, but with the ability we have, we should have the same type of commitment to love one another, to serve one another, to help one another, to serve in capacities that aren't heroic, that aren't these phenomenal things, you know, that people notice, you know, the ushering, the nursery, the teaching of a class, serving one another by going and helping where somebody definitely has needs for meals, whatever, with the sickness going around, with the widows that are here that need to be encouraged, serve, serve, serve. Let me show you something else that I think is a lesson. And again, my order is a little bit different than your notes because I don't have the same notes in front of you this evening. I changed them since I wrote mine and printed yours. There is a Second Peter passage that I'm referring to. In Second Peter chapter 2, we read these words where he is writing and talking and talking about the angels of old. He teaches us, they teach us about the consistency of God. The consistency. It says this, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness. He's talking about the rebellious angels. That as great as they were, that as knowledgeable as they were, that as, as wonderful as they were in the creation story, God was consistent that when they rebelled, they were punished. Doesn't that provide a lesson for us? 
that God is consistent, that our God does not, does not say to you and me, it's okay, you know, you can sin all you want. No, 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 there's consequences. And so God in his consistency brings out those consequences. Let me give you one other thought here that I think is, is a teachable moment here from the angels. These creatures that we're going to spend eternity with, they teach us we need to praise God. We need to praise God. They are involved throughout Scripture in praising and in worshiping. And in this text, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to make it. In this text, he's calling to the angels and he's writing, Bless the Lord, you his angels. You who excel in strength, you should bless God. You who do his bidding, you who hearken. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts. You're so many. You're so amazing. You should still bless the Lord. And he calls them, he says, Bless all of you his works in all the dominions. Bless the Lord. Now the word he uses for bless is what we would call in the Hebrew a P-L verb. What that means is it's strong and it's intensive. It would be like the idea of, I, you know, if I'm going to speak to somebody, the Pael would say, I'm really speaking to him. I'm really energetic and really involved. Bless means, okay, I'm going to praise. I'm going to lift him up. And in the Pael verb, the idea is, boy, I'm really going to lift him up. I'm really going to praise. I'm going to exalt God Almighty and with intensity, with an urgency. And he calls us to do that same thing. But especially catch the last phrase of verse 22. After he says, you angels do it, it's easy to call the angels to bless God because they're the choir. They're already blessing God. But David, as he winds down, says, of all in creation that should be blessing the Lord, he says, let me not forget to tell who to bless the Lord. The very end of verse 22. Me, myself, my soul. Me, I've got to bless the Lord. It's not the group. It's not just the angels because the angels are going to do this. They're going to praise God. They're going to bless him. They're called to do even more of it. But he says, me, you, me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why is it that he is saying of all part of creation, the ones who should really be blessing the Lord are you and me? Because we have so much more that the angels do not have. Go back to the beginning of the text where he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, where he starts, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Why? This is something the angels don't know. Watch what he says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits, who what? Forgives all the iniquities, who heals my diseases, who redeems my life from destruction. You go down through the passage a little bit more. You get a feeling down in verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. He knows our frame. He goes on. What do we have that the angels don't have? We've got forgiveness. What do we have the angels don't have? We can call him Father. Not just Creator, but Father. What do we have that they don't have? We've got the Holy Spirit living within us. They don't. What do we have that they don't have? We are called joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are elevated. Though we are made a little bit lower than the angels, what does Scripture says? We are going to be lifted up above them to the point that one day we will do what with the angels? We will judge them, 1 Corinthians 6. We have so much more to bless, the, bless God than the angels do, and they do it. They are so much bigger and better than us in so many ways, 
and they serve, they bless, they're committed. My, oh, my, what a lesson for us. These fellow worshipers, these fellow citizens in heaven one day, these fellow part of creation give us as big brothers, if you would, just in tongue-in-cheek, they give us a good example of what we ought to be doing, exalting God, praising God, because He has blessed us beyond the blessing of the angels. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. When things aren't going right, remind yourself, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. When the weather turns cold again and we get those 36 inches of snow... Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. When you get afflicted with this fever and cough as I feel it coming on, I'm going to remind myself tomorrow when I'm in bed, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Let's bless the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Pastor Fox, would you close our service, please?